Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce, and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray and I and our distinguished guests your questions on Twitter using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we will do our best to uh, answer, answer you live. Uh, we've had over 181 guests on the show. We've had a number of <coughs> iTunes and videos. We encourage you to go to uh, you know our YouTube channel for our videos and iTunes for our podcasts. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the founder and CEO of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Forbes, ZDNet, and many other publications. He's a keynote speaker. And in my humble opinion, one of the best futures to follow on Twitter at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm excited here to be joined with my co-host, Bala Ashar, one of the top CIO, CMO influencers in the world, major contributor to Huffington Post. You can read his blogs there, but more importantly, known for its insightful tweets. Um, so we are here today talking about some awesome topics. Who do we start with? Ray, uh, we're honored to have an incredible thought leader and another best-selling author. I kind of feel left out of this group. I will do <laughs> my best in the future. <laughs> we have Ratchet Prines, author and vice president of corporate strategic innovation group at Cisco Systems. Matchup brings 30 years of networking industry experience to his position as vice president at Cisco. He leads the group focused on incubating new businesses, accelerating internal innovation, and driving co-innovation with customers and startups through a global network of Cisco innovation centers. Prior to his role, he was general manager of the Connected Industries Group at Cisco, a business unit focused on the Internet of Things. He built a quarter billion dollar business from the ground up in 18 months, relentlessly evangelizing and focusing on Internet of Things opportunities across the Cisco ecosystem and market, making it a major priority for Cisco. In his New York Times bestselling book, Building the Internet of Things, which I highly recommend for anybody interested in IoT, practitioners, business leaders, um, and folks interested in emerging technologies. Uh, Matchek offers practical advice, and he, so many use cases across so many industries, which we'll talk about, to business decision makers on how and why to implement Internet of Things today. Uh, we'll talk about more during our show. If you're interested in this topic, I uh, encourage you to follow his work at, at, at maciejkranz.com. He's also an excellent follow on Twitter at maciejkranz, K-R-A-N-Z. Welcome, Magic to Disrupt TV. Bala, Ray, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm absolutely honored. <laughs> We're so excited to have you here. I mean, when you talk about the topic of Internet of Things, you know, we know it's going to be you know, close to 2 billion by 2025. Yeah. We're seeing all those devices that are being connected. But the problem is people have a lot of misconceptions. So what, what are those common mis misconceptions? Like, what can we demystify here today? Yeah, right. It's a great, great topic. And uh, uh, maybe I can give you two examples of misconceptions. The, the first one, I'm sure you're actually getting the similar question. When I mention often Internet of Things, the first uh, response I get is, uh, oh, it's about connected fridges and connected toasters. And uh, <laughs> yes, it's, it's of course true. And uh, I do see, uh, I guess, some value on connecting these devices in a home. But the reality is that um, 
the business cases for interconnecting uh, clusters of devices in the home are just starting to emerge, right? So uh, things like elderly care or uh, home, uh, uh, home security are some examples. So I do expect in a couple of years, one of the major, uh, some of the major transitions um, and some of the major innovations in IoT to come from a, a consumer space. But the reality is that where IoT is today is actually in the business-to-business -business space. So that's sort of the, the first misconception. Wow, so more business-to-business -business than consumer, so more enterprise. Exactly, and, I, and, I, and I, uh, I'm probably biased, but I, I sort of follow the money in some way. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, the second uh, misconception, or maybe sort of a, a different way of thinking about it. So, um, and uh, Ray, you mentioned this. Uh, uh, when we think about IoT, we talk about uh, billions of devices getting connected, um, and thus good things will happen. The reality is that uh, it actually is reverse. It's not that we are, for some reason, connecting all of the devices as a result things are using these devices, uh, people are using these devices to um, accomplish great things. No, the reverse is true, which is that um, uh, businesses are seeing compelling business cases, and we can talk more about them. Uh, and as a result, they are connecting devices in their organizations to take advantage of these business cases. So these are the two examples. Wow. Okay, very insightful. Got it. So, Roger, I'm, I'm, I'm Boston-based. Just in the you know, last several months, I've had the good fortune of engaging with a lot of venture capital uh, folks that are looking like yourself, follow where the money, money is going. And, and so what should investors know about which industries will grow uh, most and, 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 uh, and first adopt or lead this IoT revolution, which in your book references uh, almost a $1.5 trillion market. And, and Cisco's projections, I believe, is 50 billion connected things in the next. Well, was counting, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so Vala, I think you, actually we've been sort of an interesting journey. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I think a lot of uh, VCs were sort of doubtful about uh, uh, IoT and opportunity from the investment perspective. But uh, the good news is that, based on my experience, um, but also if you look at the research done by. Uh, uh, um, by McKinsey, by Ovum, and others, uh, IoT has actually been adopted fairly broadly. Uh, so you keep looking at Cisco as an example, we have now roughly 14,000 customers who have been adopting IoT um, that we've seen. Um, and they spread across multiple industries. So yes, it's uh, industrial spaces, sort of the um, you know, manufacturing, transportation, oil and gas, um, uh, mining, but also smart cities are finally starting to happen after probably more than a decade of, of hype, and you had some of the discussion on the show here as well. Um, we're seeing adoption in healthcare, in retail, agriculture is showing up as well. So the good news is that both from the vertical perspective, we're seeing a lot of um, interesting adoption and people, as you said, making money, but also from a technology perspective, a lot of great evolutions of uh, uh, startups and large companies developing um, horizontal modules around analytic security and so forth. So mm -hmm. it's, Yes, we've seen a lot of hype, but the, but the good news is that we're seeing people making money. And thus, um, uh, I was just actually in discussion with some of the VCs last week. Uh, the VC community is um, starting to invest more and more in this space as well. Wow. Well, we're seeing a lot of new business models emerge because of IoT. And it's also the corollary is what companies are more at risk for disruption 
from IoT in those business models because companies are going from products to services, services to experiences, experiences to outcomes, um, and outcomes to really a brand promise. And they're going through this journey, and IoT keeps playing a big role in that. You're right, and um, right. Actually, I, you probably should be answering your own questions since you, you talk about the digital disruption so often, right? Uh, but uh, uh, you know what I've seen. I, I would be curious about your uh, perspective here. Is that um, you know in the technology industry uh, we used to this model of uh, a lot of companies uh, developing very successful, often multi-billion-dollar businesses based on open standards, open architectures, right? That's how we think about it, and also companies uh, so. Um, Sort of picking at what they're good at, what they're not good at, and uh, working together and building coalitions of the willing developing solutions together. In some of these more traditional industries, um, uh, the ones that I mentioned, the prevailing model still is what I would consider a 20th century model of one company, often a vertically integrated company, uh, developing the entire solution. Yep. And now with and it, it sort of worked well in the in you know in the 90s or 80s, but now with Internet of Things coming in, with um, uh, pace of innovation and technology adoption accelerating, what I'm seeing is um, a lot of end customers are sort of asking questions: uh, Why should I be paying a premium for a custom solution based on yesterday's technology? And they are encouraging uh, both uh, startups as well as large companies, but basically specialists, to get together to. Um, uh, to join forces, sort of what I call a kind of a co-economy, uh, multiple companies putting together solutions based on open standards, open architectures. Yep. And um, the benefit for customers are that they are get getting basically future-proofed, best-in-class solutions that are reasonable priced. So bottom line is, I believe that the companies that, that are adopting this kind of a co-innovation model will be the winners in IoT transition. But the companies that are sort of sticking to the previous century model of vertical integration will be the losers. In, in your book, you referenced um, lots of industries that you already mentioned in terms of potential growth expansion due to IoT. You talked about vehicles and autonomous vehicles uh, with estimated value of maybe 210 to 740 billion. You talked about cities and smart cities that you just yep. mentioned. You talked about health and fitness market growing uh, from 170 billion to possibly 1.6 trillion. You talk about factories, home energy. Why? What are the what are the barriers for companies that are not thinking about IoT on their radar? Is it leadership? Is it culture? Is it that they don't have a data driven mind mindset in terms of new business model innovation? What are the barriers? And 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 Cisco, you just mentioned 14,000 IoT customers. So. You're clearly leading the IoT revolution in terms of partnership enabling businesses. But where do you see companies that are stuck and not really making the effort? No, it's a great question. And actually, it's a key question. And that it actually is interesting that in most cases, it is not technology, right? So uh, it is actually, uh, and again, I, I almost feel like I, uh, uh, you actually have been, and, and Ray have been talking a lot about this. Um, it is a culture, right? And um, Sort of a mindset change uh, where uh, when you think about the workers and uh, and employees sort of in a technology world we are sort of in a mode of reinventing ourselves as companies as people uh, every couple of years in more traditional industries people would go in uh, uh, start the job the job will uh, uh, potentially not change very much so the mindset is sort of different so it's a mindset change right that um, we we need to embrace change and we need to live in and in a constant change it's um, change management, uh, where you think about um, how 
do we actually use technology to our advantage, how we transform our businesses using technology. It's also business structure, something that um, uh, we, uh, we just discussed, right? Um, uh, sort of the traditional business structures that are not very conducive to innovation um, and, uh, and transformation. Uh, so um, in many ways, and of course, security is a big aspect of that as well. Uh, actually, probably the biggest barrier right now, and from the technology perspective, one of the biggest opportunities besides uh, analytics in the IoT space. Uh, but, but it is surprising because a lot of uh, times, uh, uh, you know, you would expect people to say, all right, we don't have this technology, technology. Of course, we, we don't. We, we don't have the right standards yet and so forth. But, we, but the first sort of uh, barriers we need to tackle are organizational, cultural, and then underlying security. So you wrote something cool on your blog at uh, matchacrants.com, and it was awesome. I think I heard from so many people, uh, an entrepreneur, how startups can be invited to the big IoT party. Um, can you share some insights so people here can understand what you meant by this? Because a lot of people do feel left out that this is for the big boys only, and, uh, and, and you kind of demystified that as well. Yeah, and I think that the two sides of the coin here. Uh, one is sort of the technology startups, how they get involved, but also how can sort of small and medium-sized companies take advantage of IoT. So on the, on the first side, uh, the good news now is that uh, these ecosystems that we've talked about are, are effectively being created. And uh, when I think about large companies like Cisco, for example, uh, how do we engage with startups in the IoT space? We engage mostly because when we develop solution, usually with three or four partners, we often co-innovate with our customers. We would often miss the functionality um, uh, that is required for a complete solution. So we will pull in uh, these startups into the engagement. Uh, but I think startups need to be careful because quite often, uh, and I've seen it in the past, you would get engaged with the large companies or with customers and you would engage in proof of concepts or in sort of advanced architectural work. So you need to make sure that you actually engage in a real project. You need to make sure that there, that um, there is a money again. Follow the money. There's a there's a uh, revenue at the end of this engagement. Otherwise, you will put a lot of resources into the work that it's not um, necessarily bringing the revenues. Uh, on the on the user side, you know, if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would probably say, hold on, watch uh, how IoT is developing. Let the big boys sort of uh, work it out. The good news now is that. There are many use cases that 10, 000, uh, thousands of your peers have already implemented. So you, you're not sort of in a, uh, blazing the trail. You actually can follow on, on their footsteps. But also the integration channel has matured as well. So if you're a small and medium business and you want to take advantage of IoT, I would suggest, first of all, sort of dream big, but start small. Start with a very manageable uh, small project. and. Uh, and uh, get the organization started on this journey. So limit the number of data sources. Exactly. But also, I think, um, uh, going back to uh, your discussions and your blogs, Ray, you're starting on a digital transformation. And, you, and it's a journey. And you need to uh, start with early successes, yeah. get your organization ready, right? Um, and uh, secondly, uh, if you're a small business, find an integrator that has experience in the use case you want to implement but also experience in your industry. And both of these are very critical. If you're a mid-sized company, make sure that um, you have support from a top management. Because um, again, uh, you will have naysayers. You would have uh, people that uh, would try to torpedo your efforts, maybe uh, uh, you know, sort of pr uh, protecting status quo. So you need to have top management to be uh, with you and behind you. Got it. So. Um... 
Maciek, I'm going to ask you, a, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, maybe a difficult question. <laughs> Don't want to put you on the spot, but when you have a futurist best-selling author on the show, that's what we do. Um, <laughs> if I went back to 2002, I, I wouldn't imagine that my telephone, my CRM apps, a flashlight, uh, you know, my camera, pretty much a supercomputer in my pocket by now. So 15 yep. years ago, I don't think I would have imagined this. I want you to take us 15 years from now, not 5, 10, 15. Where will the industry be? How should business leaders think? And how will we be our lives and future work will be transformed by Internet of Things technologies? You know, great question. And uh, I, I probably don't have a crystal ball, uh, but I can tell you sort of what I see so far, right? So uh, for, uh, first of all, uh, I would expect, um, Oh, I hope that not only in 15, but even 10 years, we actually don't talk about Internet of Things anymore. But going back to your example from 2002, 2004, uh, you know, in, sort of in that period, we were talking a lot about e-commerce, for example. Now we don't talk about e-commerce anymore, right? Um, we just do it, and it's ingrained into everything that we do. So I hope that IoT will be in the same mode where we sort of don't talk about this anymore as a distinct uh, disciplinal phenomenon. We just simply do it in, in our every, everyday lives and in our uh, businesses. What I already see starting to happen, sort of like early indications of uh, what's about to come, is industries are starting to converge. Um, you know, something that Vala, um, you and Ray both talked about, every industry is becoming a technology industry. But we obviously, we've seen the examples with transportation and technology merging. We see retail and manufacturing sort of merging. So these merges and converges of industries, I think, is the sign of uh, times to come. New business models. Today, with IoT, we're mostly looking at improvements of existing processes. But we're starting to see also the emergence of new business models. Uh, Ray, you mentioned move to uh, service-oriented business models, uh, uh, mass customization, mass personalization, new uses. Well, now that everything is connected, you can actually get a much better sense of where your customers are, go are going. But probably the most fundamental change over the next 15 years that I would expect is that IoT is not sort of an isolated phenomenon. In, for me, IoT is a foundation for a lot of other uh, amazing things that are happening. Because when every device gets connected, every device is providing uh, data uh, to, uh, to for the analytics engines and so forth. When you think about uh, artificial intelligence, when you think about blockchain, when you think about drones and uh, uh, driverless vehicles, all of these sort of uh, amazing changes are based on the assumption of everything getting connected. So in some way, IoT is this a foundation where other that other, other disciplines are drawing on and um, combination of these I think will be truly transformative. Oh, it's a great point, right? We're seeing um, just like social, mobile, cloud, and big data were foundations. Um, that convergence created things like IoT. We're seeing those being built on top of blockchains, being blocked onto cognitive frameworks um, in terms of how things are being created, delivered, um, and, and also uh, dis distributed in terms, of, uh, in terms of the interactions and collaboration that's happening. So, so it's definitely wild. So real quick question. Um, who are your mentors? Who are the folks that you look up to? Like, uh, you know, where do futurists look to for the future? <laughs> yeah, where is the crystal ball? Tell us. <laughs> you know, I thought I dodged this question, but all right, it's coming back. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's never on the list. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, to some degree, uh, I can probably give you a bit of a cop out answer. You know, I, 
for me, it's a, it's a team sport, right? And all of us, I mean, uh, I've been watching your show and I've been following you guys on, on Twitter, right? Um, and and then sort of like when we talked about um, uh, the winners and losers in the industry where um, uh, multiple companies are working together, for me, this is very much a team sport and all of us sort of are, uh, are contributing and feeding ideas and feeding on each other, right? Um, when you think about, um, uh, you know, uh, IoT, it's a, it's, even though we started talking about it for the next couple of uh, last couple of years, it's been around forever. The same with AI and, and so forth. So uh, I'm not sure. I, I probably will have to list 50 people that I that I admire and follow. And I, I know I'm I, um, I know I'm dodging the question a little bit, but uh, but 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 to be to be uh, serious, um, uh, I follow you guys and many other people extensively, uh, Peter Diamandis uh, and many others. And col because collectively, I think we are on this incredible journey, uh, and it's important. Like Vala, um, you said, you you in Boston. I think um, uh, for me, it's important also to spend a lot of time with customers, with innovators outside of the valley, right? So, like last couple of years, I've probably spent a million miles on the on the plane. Not that just I like to be on a first name basis with the flight attendants, but it's so <laughs> important to be honest that you you go and go to open pit mine in Australia and see how people do this, right? You go to uh, plants in Shenzhen. You go to hospitals in uh, in Latin America or uh, or to retail stores. So you basically experience uh, innovators firsthand and innovation is truly global. So that's sort and of my mindset. And you're seeing it from different points of view. We are, we are here with Matcha Kranz, author and VP, Corporate Strategic Innovation Group at Cisco Systems. You can follow him at M-A-C-I-E-J-K-R-A-N-Z. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been an absolute blast. You were terrific. Please consider coming back. You were terrific. Thank you. Wow, now we're going from IoT to security and mobile. Of course, we get a secure devices in an IoT world. But hey, who do we have here? Who's next? That was an awesome conversation. And, uh, and uh, we're going to now shift to a, a very important area when we talk about IoT and data and cognitive platforms and artificial intelligence. Certainly, security is always top of mind for business leaders. So we're fortunate to have John Eisen, CEO of Blue Cedar. Uh, Blue Cedar is mobile security that's different. Uh, there are no agents, there are no containers to deploy, there's no code to write. You're in injecting security into your apps and you're securing your app, we're gonna learn more about that. John brings a wealth of relevant experience as a successful enterprise software product and go-to-market executive, uh, spanning roles in strategy and IT consulting, successful stints running multiple functions in emerging high growth and large enterprise software firms. John was most recently president and CEO of uh, Mokana, where he ran go-to-market operations, including sales, marketing, corporate development. We've, we're talking about a, a technologist and a, and a uh, business leader, so we're, we're, we're very fortunate to have him on our show. Before that, he was a VP of product management at Oracle Fusion Middleware, uh, which encompassed solutions for mobile applications, security, platform services, and IoT applications, among other uh, platform technologies. You can also follow John on Twitter at J-A-Z-Z-I-C-S. Welcome, John, to the Shrop TV. It's a real honor to be on the show, Vala and uh, Ray. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, John, Thank no, you. thanks for being on the show. Better than being on a Steve Miranda meeting in the morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yes. I love Steve. Ah, good man. <laughs> I love Steve. He's a good man. So, hey, let's talk about Blue Cedar. How do you come on board as CEO? What are you trying to change? Right, Because this market has been stagnant for a while. 
and it looks like you're, you're about to disrupt. So what's going on out here? Yeah, so you know, we're a San Francisco-based company, and as you mentioned, I think we take a really unique approach to securing next-generation enterprise endpoints as a whole. So our functional surface area is any corporate data that's accessible through either a traditional mobile device or even an IoT device that's okay. powered by an operating system that we support. But our premise is, regardless of the form factor by which the data is accessed, What's more important is not securing the device. We're not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we think that last mile, that's a criticality for all organizations that have a mandate to secure their data, is to secure the um, repository or the user interaction point for that data itself, which is the app. So yeah, our tagline is secure the app rather than the device, and we've built really cool next-generation tech that enables any organization without having security expertise or without having to code to be able to incorporate Blue Cedar into their apps. Yeah, and the and point being is it doesn't have to be on a, it can be on an unmanaged device, which is, which is the revelation here, right? Uh, it could be on any device. It could be on any a, any, a medical you know, sort of device that you know, helps diabetics. It could be on a, an industrial device that controls wind turbines, or it could be on a tablet that a CEO uses to access decision support data. But not these old devices, right? <laughs> well, if we raise more capital, we might go. There's a lot of junk in my office, as you can tell. Anyway, <laughs> so, so you know, we 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 talked to Matchek in terms of uh, projecting the future of IoT. When you think about how the how, what what has the enterprise done to address mobile security now, yeah. and can you project in the next couple of years? how that uh, technology progression will shift to a different model? Yeah, so highest level, if I go back even sort of two decades to the late 90s and very quickly paint a picture around evolution uh, to date, we've moved from actually what was a really wonderful start for using mobility as a, a primary form factor for the enterprise, which was a very vertically integrated stack. If you look at research in motion, of course now BlackBerry, going back 18, 20 years, I recall my first BlackBerry in 2001, I'll never forget. And people uh, maybe sometimes don't realize that that was a truly vertically integrated stack, right? The network, the apps, the OS, the devices, and all the other enabling technologies were brought together and were used to deliver access to admittedly a finite set of corporate data sets, you know, email, calendar, contact. Come on, I love my best server. <laughs> oh, I love that stuff. Man. Genuinely, I hate to plug those guys, but yeah, I got to give it to them. But in, in, a, in a highly secure manner. And then what happened was with the advent of iOS and Android-powered devices, that sort of broke the stranglehold of that vertically integrated stack. So it, it created a necessity for organizations to try and replicate the research in motion experience by coupling a whole bunch of stuff together. And uh, APIs within the mobile OS layer became increasingly standardized and rich by which that kind of management and security function could be provided. What we see though is almost all of those current state use of standard APIs to provide security are provided at the device level. So to be really clear, manage the device and secure the device as a proxy for securing the data. And we're not saying that's wrong or that's bad. In fact, we're saying in most cases it's necessary 
but it's not sufficient. Hmm. And what we believe is a requirement to complete this architecture is that last mile that enables me as a business leader to allow my data to be used for one of those wonderful IoT use cases that Maciek was talking about earlier, but to be able to do that without a necessity for me to control, manage, secure, or have privacy rights over the device that I really don't want to have. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. Um, you're, I, you're, you're dissing on the EMM vendors. Really. No, I'm uh, well, not <laughs> with those guys. And it's not just EMMs, right? There's many no, ways. No, no, I know, I know. I'm just being facetious. Um, um, but, 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 I'm going to touch that but the interesting thing, though, is right. I mean, you don't want to. Sometimes you don't want to give up the device, but you want to make sure that you know the interaction and the exchange is secure, right? For example, as we think about you know all those devices that are happening there, we are accessing versus owning data more and more, right? Yes. And that access is going to require this level of applications, and and that creates some new interesting IoT business strategies and business models. What are your customers doing? What are you seeing on that front? Yeah, it, it, the examples are manyfold, and um, you know, for brevity, I'm going to call out a bunch that I think are, are really interesting. So I have a oh well, Blue Cedar um, is honored to have a relationship with a large uh, contract research organization. So in healthcare, uh, yeah. the contract research organizations or CROs yeah. are those that provide downstream services to the life sciences. Um, organizations who are, you know, uh, I'm sorry, doing the research to create new drugs and new wonderful ways of improving healthcare outcomes. Uh, one of the enablers for uh, these clinical research organizations to help with new drug discovery is clinical trials. So uh, the use of IoT to accelerate the rate of those trials, reduce costs, improve efficacy is tremendous. But for one of those CROs, the way in which they did that, it's a wonderful combination of mobile and IoT, they provide medical patches to all of the patients participating in specific clinical trials. And these patches communicate in real time with apps running on a CRO-provided medical device, such that patients don't have to self-report anymore on blood pressure, blood glucose, temperature, or even mood or level of activity. They can gather that data in real time. That's awesome. But because of the device-centric approach by which the CRO previously gathered the data from um, the medical patch, the cost per patient of the mobile device was something like $700 oh. per patient per clinical trial. By moving to an app-level or data-centric approach, they can enable these patients to run a clinical trials app on their own personal device while still ensuring that this app is secure uh, and all the data that the app um, manifests at rest and in transit is also secure. Reducing the marginal cost per patient from something like $700, as I mentioned earlier, to approximately $14. So a 95% saving. And for me, that example really resonates. I'm diabetic in my personal life, so this, this stuff you know, means a lot to me. So beyond just the economic benefit, the exposure of access that arises from that and the acceleration of generation of new drugs and um, you know, means of improving lives for people with you know, chronic illnesses, I think is fantastic and really breakthrough. If I can quickly you know, throw one more in and keep it really brief, we're also working with a large... Um, integrated power and utility organization that's again using mobile and IoT in a very interesting way and in this case they're using an app to integrate system data coming from wind turbines 
nuclear power plants, things of that sort, but with user data and user-generated data, which is most effectively captured via mobile. And the combination of this system and user-generated data is then being used downstream to drive improvements in uh, efficiency from these power um, plants and uh, wind turbines. So those are just two examples where mobile and IoT are being combined, but in both cases, the data-centric approach to security on mobile uh, is a key enabler. That's amazing. Great, great use cases, John. Um, so you have the privilege to sit at the intersection of IoT and mobility in the app economy. All of this is creating enormous volumes of data we know, as business leaders working with customers across multiple industries, that most companies are not leveraging this data to gain insights to you know, real-time action that can improve customer experience. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, Harvard uh, Analytics Group um, uh, released their research where they found uh, less than two out of 10 companies can meet or exceed the customer experience uh, based on talent, process, culture, and the use of data that they have access to. So what advice do you have to companies that want to differentiate based on customer experience in terms of how they think about mobility, IoT, security, but more importantly, what to do with all the data that they have accessible to them that, that's not being actioned? Yeah. You know, I'm with magic on this, um, especially in the B2B world. You know, I, I would question whether that data is actually not being used. Now, is it being optimally used? Almost certainly not. I mean, the, just the sheer volume of data that's being generated is mind-boggling. But I, I got to tell you guys, I, we're seeing, um, even with our somewhat limited view into the market, you know, we're a Series A company, and, and yet we're seeing just astounding examples um, where this data is being used so long as there's a primary prerequisite in place, which is that data is being secured in a manner that's compliant with the policies that that organization has to comply with, and more importantly, the regulations that the organization also has to comply with. So long as the enabling architecture by which these IoT-powered uh, business imperatives are being executed on uh, are in place, then we have awesome examples we can cite. Again, for brevity, I'll call out another one uh, from the healthcare industry. I'm a recently naturalized um, U.S. citizen, as you can tell from my very American accent. Um, so, <laughs> it fills me with pride to say that Blue Cedar is a constituent element in a larger solution architecture by which a large medical device manufacturer is helping U.S. veterans receive health services even when they are extremely far away, in many cases thousands of miles away from the nearest U.S. Uh, Veterans um, Affairs Hospital. By using home telehealth services powered by IoT devices and mobile apps, um, this organization is generating just absolute treasure troves of data that's stored in a uh, big data-powered um, patient cloud, essentially powered by Cloudera, give them a pitch. Um, in Bethesda, and this cloud is being used downstream, not just to support these veterans uh, in, their in their receipt of daily uh, telehealth services, but it's also being used to gather information about, for example, depression, PTSD, um, wow. use of medical marijuana to improve the efficacy of folks coming from the theater of battle, and many other powerful use cases that really would be you know, unimaginable 
to execute on in any efficient manner without access to that data, but in a secure manner. That's terrific. Well, that, is, that is huge. Now, related to this, tying back to the uh, IoT conversation we had earlier, when we think about what's happening with GDPR, right, and, and of the data that's actually happening with it, that's got to be a boom for you guys for over the next couple of years because GDPR is creating a whole set of requirements around where the data is, what's going on. You know, you don't want to be Vizio with like, hey, I got, you know, hey, we've been collecting data on you. Sorry about that. You know, I mean, they got fined $2.2 for that. So, yep. so the question is like, I mean, that, that, that could be a starting point for a lot of what you're doing. Where do you see privacy and the regulations, you know, um, how people are responding to that uh, without doing this? Yeah, I know GDPR is a massive catalyst for the security industry as a whole. And certainly for those that take an approach to security that's optimally aligned with the um, foundational obligations that GDPR places on organizations uh, doing business in the EU. And, and two of those obligations are end users have to explicitly consent for the use of the data that's being captured. Key term there is explicit. And secondarily, uh, these organizations have to demonstrate very much like Sarbanes-Oxley um, here in the um, US oh, 15-ish years ago. They have to demonstrate adequate um, processes and enabling technology support, supporting those processes to ensure that any end user um, owned or generated data is secure. So if you think about any of the enabling technologies that either support compliance with these mandates or in our case, reduce the cost of compliance to support these mandates, then yeah, it's a massive uh, catalyst for, uh, for growth, uh, not just in the EU, but across any organization that does business in the EU. And uh, a specific example I can cite, um, one of our large uh, Dutch customers who are in the insurance business have made a conscious decision to uh, provide access to employees and customers um, to corporate data, but to do this in a manner that um, enables the end users to explicitly consent every three months to the use of their data in this manner, and also uh, does not require these end users, be they employees or uh, customers, to run any security software on their devices that they don't want to. So all of the security is being provided at the data level, which essentially means at the app level. Terrific, terrific. Uh, I want to shift uh, focus a bit. Uh, as a first-gen immigrant myself, um, I always um, take the opportunity to promote the importance of inclusiveness. My most popular tweet, which I've pinned on my profile, lists companies founded by first-gen immigrants. So what advice do you have for immigrants that are thinking big, they're bold, they're coming to the U.S., whether it's in Silicon Valley or Boston, where I am, in terms of how they can, you know, achieve success like you have, um, and and you know, make your your best advice to to an immigrant that's that's moved to the U.S. thinking about you know putting a dent in the universe. Well, first of all, don't tell my investors that I've achieved successes yet because they don't want to hear that. <laughs> but he's still you know, hungry. I, he's still hungry. He's still absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, brother. Um, but, anyway, but I appreciate the comment. You know, I'm, I'll start with a slightly co contrarian point of view. I, there's many ways of realizing one's personal uh, and professional dreams. And I would honestly say that entrepreneurship is just one of them. And I think sometimes we over, what's the right word? We, uh, we, we over hype and over glamorize. Thank you so much, Vala. We over glamorize 
some of the wonderful highs and amazing achievements that arise from entrepreneurship. And I'll just quote Elon Musk, who I follow quite religiously. And he tweeted the other day, you know, the reality is great highs, but also terrible lows, unrelenting stress, but people don't want to hear about the other two. And that's the truth. So the first point I'll make is entrepreneurship is awesome, but it's not for everybody. And uh, a book I read after I started Blue Cedar, I actually wish I'd read it before I started Blue Cedar. <laughs> and it's uh, The Founder's Dilemma. And, oh, yes. and what I love about that book, and I forget the author, it, it doesn't discourage one from taking the step, but it yeah. highlights very clearly the prerequisites that one ought to have in place and validate before one goes on this incredibly lonely and high beta journey in terms of, again, amazing highs and super lows. Now, for folks who do read that book, who follow Elon Musk and still decide to take the step, you know, my genuine <laughs> advice is just do it. Just take that first step. And in my own personal experience, nothing I've achieved, either in large organizations like Oracle or smaller organizations like Blue Cedar, have uh, been possible without me standing on the shoulders of folks like Steve Miranda, like Thomas Curian at Oracle, and numerous other folks um, oh, yeah. who are there and uh, willing to help. And the last comment I'll make is it astounds me how genuinely willing the vast majority of the corporate world is to help you stand on their shoulders, um, yeah. even competitors. And my, my instinct is just do it, just ask. Yeah, no, great book by Noam Wasserman. Uh, I definitely should have read it before I started my company as well. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a guy. You read and you say, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. No, I'm just kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> we are here with John Eisen, CEO of Blue Cedar, and more importantly, Twitter, if he follows when he's aboard, when he's not busy, at Jazzix, J-A-Z-Z-I-C-S. Thank you for being on the show today. Real honor. John, you're terrific. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that book is like, you read the book and you're like, I'm never starting a startup. <laughs> so read it after you come up with a great idea, actually. It'd be better. So, but speaking about what's hot, what's going on, who do we have today? This is for your baseball fans. This is our cleanup hitter spot where we bring someone extraordinary and they always hit a grand slam. So no, no pressure, Courtney. <laughs> we are honored to have Courtney Borland, freelance reporter, IoT Institute, and Informa. Courtney has been covering uh, technology uh, uh, as a freelance reporter for Internet of Things Institute. Uh, this is uh, at uh, IOTI.com, where she covers IoT-related news for uh, IT and OT audiences. Courtney also writes several major enterprise uh, writes for major uh, enterprise software companies, including interviewing customers for case studies, writing ebooks, white papers. Uh, and ghostwriting blogs and articles. Prolific blogger, um, so someone you definitely want to follow. Prior to starting her freelance writing business, she led content and executive communication at America's SAP Users Group, where she worked as a reporter at Tech, uh, tech and she worked as a reporter at Tech Target. Welcome, Courtney, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Bella. Thank you for the baseball uh, analogy. I'm also boss today, so we appreciate that here. <laughs> this is awesome. Hey, Courtney, we've known each other for a long time. This is awesome. Um, there are things that are happening in the IoT side, and we really want you to do the rundown. Tell us what's hot, what's going on. Uh, but you start by saying, hey, who, who are the buyers? What's going on with this M2M council and IoT RFP template thing that's going on? Are, are people confused? Or are they saying, oh, wait, wait, we, we need to get better at uh, figuring out what we need to do? 
Yeah, so this, you know, I think just as we saw when sort of the buying model for on-premise buyers shifted to the cloud and we saw that buying audience shift to more of a line of business side versus the IT side, I think what we're seeing in the IoT world is that it's moving outside, not completely, but moving to include um, the OT folks as well. So we're seeing people um, who are traditionally not IoT, IT buyers making buying decisions on technology. So a lot of these, what you mentioned, the IoT MTM Council has come up with templates and advice and services and, and great things for these people to help them make these buying decisions, which were traditionally left to the IT folks. Yeah, in, in the blog that you had written, or article you had written, you said there's, uh, what, 28, almost 2,900 uh, IoT product companies. And so I can imagine, you know, as a, on the buyer side, if you're trying to research nearly 3,000 IoT companies, uh, you know, you would need some sort of, a, you know, a guide, a formal process to help make better, more uh, informed decisions. Along with that, you wrote another article that you talked about skills shortage and skills gap. Uh, you, you noted that there's 500,000 computing jobs unfilled in the U.S. with fewer than 50,000 computer science students graduating from U.S. universities last year. At the same time, in your post, you noted 63% of IT executives said it, it's somewhat or very challenging to find skill set um, in the space we've been talking for the last 40 minutes in, in IoT and analytics, mobile app development, and techno technology as a whole. What insights do you have and what advice do you have for companies in terms of finding the right talent so that they can you know, achieve their goals? Sure, Vala. So, you know, this isn't something new to the IT space, right? The entire industry has been struggling with a skill shortage for, you know, the decade I've been around it. So, you know, these are, this is just carrying now into this space of IoT, which is so broad, it encompasses, you know, the entire industry, um, which makes it, you know, really interesting to follow, but at the same time, very difficult to cover. Um, so, you know, we're starting to see IoT related titles emerge. We uh, talked to Robert Huff Technology on the site, and, and they had said, you know, we're starting to see titles like, IoT engineer and IoT developer and really these really specific IoT titles emerged just in the last year, um, which is really interesting. It's really on companies' radars now. Um, and like Mashik pointed out, you know, and, and you and Ray have been saying, everyone's an IoT company. You know, it, it, there's there's no company in the space that can play without somehow enabling their technology to, you know, open itself up and connect. Um, so these it, it's just going to increasingly, increasingly grow in, in importance. Like you said, 500,000 open computing jobs and 50,000 U.S. grads um, every year coming out of universities. So it's just the numbers, they don't match up. Absolutely. So Courtney, it, I mean, we know Cisco has their Cisco Academy. So for decades, they've invested in creating online curriculum and certification programs to enable talent to keep up with the emerging technologies. At Salesforce, we have an online curriculum that's free. Uh, it's called Trailhead. We've issued over a million badges uh, in, in terms of trails that speak to artificial intelligence and CRM 
and, and, and uh, business uh, analytics and, and operations in the sales marketing services side. So companies, uh, the ones that, are, that value education and talent, it looks like they're making investments in terms of providing curriculum so that we can reduce that gap in terms of the skill set that's needed. Are you seeing companies invest more in terms of delivering education and not relying in colleges and universities to train the next generation of you know, future work? That's super interesting, Vala, and a, and a really good point is that a lot of it will definitely be driven by the industry. And what Robert has said to us, too, is that, you know, you're going to have to take a lot of these people internally and upskill them to be able to, you know, deliver on these different kinds of projects. Something interesting, too, that I haven't had a chance to dig into, but my colleague and I, Brian Bunce, on the site really want to is um, is sort of the different skill sets that these IoT enabling skills, for lack of a better word, will come from. So we're not just seeing traditional IT backgrounds, but things on the OT side, right? Um, electrical engineering and um, skill sets like that, that that world and the IT world will bridge and I think learn a lot from each other. You know, it's, and it's a very big thing. I mean, if you're thinking about bringing all these different disciplines, that's where the intersection, right, um, of innovation occurs is at those disciplines and so like, as they come together when you're coming up with ideas. Now, one of those intersections that we keep seeing is, is blockchain, like IoT on blockchain. Like, oh, wait, where'd that come from? Or, you know, some other business model. Of course, payments is on blockchain, but, but we're seeing this use of blockchain, AI, um, IoT, that convergence is happening as well. So what's going on with uh, Coco? Um, you're talking about Microsoft and the Cocoa framework. Are they there? Is this going to beat Ethereum? <laughs> like, are the Hyperledger folks like you know running around scared? I don't know. Microsoft is coming at this thing. So, tell us more about what's going on with Cocoa. Right. You know, I just report on this stuff. I can't make judgments on it. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so that so the, the 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 distinguished gentleman who went before me did, did a great job of pointing out that um, a lot of the IoT stuff will really start to make sense for the enterprise when it intersects with these other technologies, AI and, and blockchain. And blockchain is, is huge right now and super important to IoT um, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, security in the IoT space is still a big, you know, if, right? It's still, it's still a big question and, and folks like John are, are working on it and, and, and Cisco and everybody else. Um, but there will be a lot of what the analysts and industry leaders and thought leaders say is that there will be a lot of promise that blockchain brings to securing the IoT space in terms of um, securing the transaction itself and ensuring the privacy of the data. Um, so Microsoft, and from my perspective covering the space, um, I think they're the first to do this, is building a framework. They're not building a, a ledger. Um, they're building a framework for other companies to build stuff on um, that will enable blockchain to proliferate across the enterprise. Um, so Microsoft's enterprise-ready blockchain is much higher performing um, than like a Bitcoin or even some of the enterprise blockchains out there. It can do, I think, 1,600 transactions a second. Yep. And it is... Um, one of the problems, of course, with blockchain is it doesn't ensure privacy, which we need in, in, in the enterprise. Um, and Microsoft and Intel have worked together to 
create this and bake this into to, to the framework. So you're basically making like it easy for exciting. folks to get started without having to go through the guts is what you're saying. And right. it back to a blockchain. Um, with those speeds, they're going to have to hurry, man. Blockchain is running 100 million transactions per second. So I, I think they're a little at a disadvantage there. So, But let's talk about AI. What's going on in AI? We see IoT platforms, AI ahead. What's going on with this IoTI stuff that you're talking about um, that, that you guys put out there? So. With AI, you know, I haven't done a ton of AI, you know, reporting stuff yet, but we did look at this Frost and Sullivan report this week. Um, and one of the trends that they see coming, and, and, and Dilip Saragan is a, is a smart guy in the IoT space. He's been covering for the last 10 years. He wrote this report. Um, he says that, you know, you're really going to start to see the vendors start baking in the AI capabilities. Because as Magic said, you know, this is real, where really the, the chickens come to roost. Um, where you're going to be able to make sense of this data and the device itself can actually act and make a decision without relying on a, on a human because the data is just coming in so fast, you know, and we, and, and nobody is going to be able to, to do that on their own. Um, so what Frost and Sullivan is saying, and I think you'll see a lot of other analyst firms probably already saying this is that, you know, you're going to start seeing AI capabilities baked in by some of the bigger platform vendors. Courtney, where are you spending the next uh, several months in terms of your research? Um, is, is it more blockchain-related intersections with with uh, with IoT? I know in the article that you wrote, there was referencing uh, the fishing industry and being able to validate and trust, uh, 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 and uh, uh, you know the the the, the, uh, the the accuracy and the sourcing of of fish, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was which was interesting. So when you think about blockchain, again, we've had a number of guests on the show, you automatically think about cryptocurrency, you automatically think about the first implementation of blockchain, which was Bitcoin. And you know, when you look at the Bitcoin right now at 4,300 price, you know, it's a $100 billion market right now. So people tend to think about cryptocurrency, not other use cases, which there's so much of. Um, is it is it AI and cognitive uh, intersection with uh, 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 with IoT? We're in the back to school shopping season. It's the second most um, important shopping season. There's 29 million U.S. households, 53 million children, which represent 27 billion dollars of spend in the July, August, September timeframe. Just back to school. So. Wearable technology and mobile and social intersection with IoT. Where are you going to spend the next, you know, next year researching? <laughs> yeah, I think I spent twenty-seven billion dollars on back to school just for my own kids. <laughs> um, so they are fully connected, we, fully connected, <laughs> fully trackable, and we, they plug in to infuse in, in, in at yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> they've got the glasses. They've got, you know, they're all teched out going to school. Um, so we we cover my job on the site is is to look at IoT not from the consumer side, but from you know the B2B side. Um, so we focus on everything, um, the entire space, but but in particular, you know, we're looking at industrial IoT. Um, we're looking at blockchain, we're uh, we're looking at um, you know different use cases for customers, um, and we look at security a lot. Um, so those are kind of the 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 big pot. Um, items on the site right now, um, and and you know we're really aiming at that at that IT and, and, and OT audience um, and the transformative power that, that that IoT can bring to those businesses. Wow. Conference conferences that you recommend uh, in the next? Oh, uh, that's a great segue <laughs> for my conference plug. 
Um, so uh, the IoT Institute um, is a division of Penton, and the uh, the biggest fall event coming up is uh, Enterprise IoT World in Chicago, which is uh, uh, October 16th through the 17th, which is really aimed at that industrial IoT audience. Um, and then we will also have an event co-located, you can tell I'm reading off this, the Smart City Summit. Um, and um, and a, and a couple more coming up in Palo Alto in November, um, the Smart Home Summit and the IoT Data and AI Summit. Um, so there's lots of great events, and there's always a lot of customer presence at those events. So um, it's a great chance for um, both vendors and, and, and customers to network. Wow, we are we are in an exciting space, um, definitely as IoT, and uh, we're with Courtney Bjornlund, freelance reporter here at IoT Institute uh, with Informa. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Vala. Thank you, Awesome. And you did hit a grand slam, for, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Been with very strong guests. Oh, my um, God. I'm looking at the agenda for next, next week. Episode 77. This is crazy. Who do we have? Now, next week, Ray, we're honored to have, um, I believe she was our first guest when we launched uh, Disrupt TV maybe first or second, but we had, at the time she was the CIO at Intel, but we have Kim Stevenson, uh, who is the Senior Vice President and GM at Lenovo, uh, her second appearance on Disrupt TV, but in a new capacity at a new company. And Kim is extraordinary, so definitely tune in. We have Adam Martell, who's the CEO of an up-and-coming and growing startup uh, in Boston called Gravity, uh, G-R-A-V-V-V, Y-T-Y, Gravity. And so Adam's going to talk to us about natural language processing. And he's going to talk about advanced uh, analytics and AI in, in, in the enterprise. And then we have uh, Doug Henshin, Vice President Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. And Doug is another uh, super smart uh, repeat guest on Disrupt TV. And we're looking forward to always learn from Doug. So if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. This is where expert. This is where experts come to share, and we really appreciate you guys spending uh, afternoon on on Fridays with us. Ray, closing remarks. Hey, we've got a special guest host next week. Uh, Diane Hinchcliffe will be joining us, and uh, Vala, yeah, you'll be on your flight on the way back. So <laughs> yes. So hey, thanks everybody. Thanks for joining us, and uh, save the date, November first. There may be a very interesting Disrupt TV event coming near you. So talk to you later. Mm -hmm.